Welcome to the Bethel Free Baptist Church Weekly Sermons. The following podcast is part 78 in the series Contending for the Faith. This is the morning service of Sunday the 24th of June 2012, entitled The Glorious Church of Jesus Christ, Part 10. And the Bible reading is taken from Acts chapter 14, verse 23. Here's Pastor Larry T. Curtis. If you'd like to open your Bibles this morning to the book of Acts chapter 14. All right, and just before reading, our scripture reading for, for this morning, of course, we are continuing in our series on contending for the faith. And for this is now part 10 of the glorious church of Jesus Christ, as we look at the fundamentals of that faith for which we are to contend. And of course, as we began looking at this some weeks ago now, we find that, uh, of course, the glorious church of the Lord Jesus Christ is something that should excite us, something that should encourage us, because much of the world is simply dealing with some kind of a dead religious institution uh, of some kind. But the glorious church of Jesus Christ is not some dead institution. Uh, it is alive. Uh, it is a living organism that literally uh, has a body and Jesus Christ himself as the head of that. Now, we've covered a lot of territory already in, uh, first of all, defining uh, that church, just what we meant by uh, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And as we did so, we broke that down really into uh, two sections. And, of course, we, we talked, first of all, about the, uh, the perspective church, uh, remember, a church was a called-out assembly, uh, the word ecclesia itself, but not just any called-out assembly. Uh, many things could be called a called-out assembly uh, in Scripture. And, of course, as we looked at those things, we saw that uh, uh, the word that uh, was used as church in our Bibles, the three places in the Bible where it was just a called-out assembly as far as some town assembly, then the word assembly was used. But in all the other 115 cases where the word church is used in our English language, it's not only just any called out assembly, but the word that was translated into church is a word that denotes possession of the Lord himself. It is the Lord's called out assembly. It is the called out assembly that belongs to the Lord Jesus Christ. We talked about that perspective assembly, that we're listening for that trumpet sound any day to call us out of this earth that once and for all, every true born-again child of God that is alive during this age, this church age that we live in, during that time when the, the, the trumpet sounds and the rapture takes place, we will, not only ourselves that are alive, but those that have died and gone before us, will all be called out of this earth to meet him in the air. And for the first time ever, that one true church, that one true called out assembly that belongs to the Lord Jesus Christ. We looked at the different things that uh, uh, was used in Scripture to describe that, but that true body, Brother Steve, that'll be together for the first time once and for all. But as of right now, the trumpet hasn't sounded yet. We're still here. And so we see that most of what the Bible has to do with is not that prospectus church that will be together at the rapture, but the present church, 
the local visible body of the Lord Jesus Christ here upon this earth. And so we looked at that, and we tried to uh, define just what it was that, uh, uh, that makes up uh, that present church. We said, first of all, that it's, of course, made up of believers, only believers. We find that it's believers that are banded together, and of course, the, the Scripture then describes them as one body, uh, all with their own different unique gifts, but all working together as one whole. And of course, not only as the did we look at the descriptions of that as, as of course, the, uh, the body of the Lord Jesus Christ with, with Him being the head, but also the Bible describes it as a building. Uh, Jesus Christ Himself being the chief cornerstone and the apostles being that foundation upon which it's built. Not talking about something different, uh, but of course, giving us a, a different aspect of that one entity, the glorious church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then fourthly, we looked at how it was described as a bride, uh, the bride of the Lord Jesus Christ that would be presented to him uh, spotless one day. And so we looked at all those things and we saw that uh, the Bible gave us many glorious pictures of just what, uh, uh, what the uh, New Testament church is in Scripture. But then as we began to, uh, to move on from uh, the definition of, of the New Testament church, we began looking at the design. Uh, how was it designed? It was Jesus Christ himself uh, that, that designed it. Uh, it's him that is building it. And of course, as we began to look at that, we saw that, uh, of course, first of all, that uh, as we look back at the first church at Jerusalem, that the organization of the church was a united group of Christians. It was Christians that were united to, together, uh, Christians that were united with Jesus Christ himself uh, being their, uh, their, their head uh, that was over them. Uh, of course, these, these Christians coming together, being united uh, in one heart, in one cord, in one mind, in a, in a common doctrine, in a common teaching, in a common faith. And of course, as a local New Testament church, uh, that is precisely what we are, a, a group of born-again, baptized believers uh, that have bonded ourselves together uh, as, as Christians of like faith, uh, as we uh, worship and, and, and work and witness for our Lord Jesus Christ. And then, of course, as we, under that organization, we, uh, we talked about a couple of things as we approached our, our, uh, our missions conference, and we kind of jumped ahead a little bit. Uh, talking about the finances of that, and we looked at the uh, the giving that is binding, the tithes, the giving that is benevolent, the free will offerings, and the giving that is beyond, beyond anything that we can do in that faith promise uh, that God does through us. Uh, his church was not designed or uh, meant to operate by car boot sales, uh, by bake sales, uh, by having to go to the world and appeal to them to support the work of God. Uh, God's work is to be financed by God's people. And God has given us the plan for that, and that's the way that it's to be done. But we're going to back up now under this, uh, uh, the, the organization and under this uh, uh, design of, 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 the, of the local church. Uh, and we're going to back back up to, uh, uh, that was under the operation, under, under the organization. Uh, we come back and we said that, uh, uh, not only did we did we look at the idea, the fact that uh, uh, this uh, this organization uh, is the Christians united with Jesus Christ as their uh, as their head, uh, but a New Testament church. 
is a church that has two offices. And uh, we can call it a New Testament church all we want, but folks, let me tell you something. There are a lot of organizations in this world that steal the name church, that call themselves a church. And yet we find that, first of all, they miss out in the first is God's design for his church is not that it's just some organization, but that it is an organization that is his children, Christians, born-again believers that have followed him in believers' baptism that are organized together uh, with Jesus Christ as their head. And as they do that, we find that the offices of the New Testament church are vital if it's going to be such. Now, in Acts chapter 14, uh, if you'd like to, uh, to, to look there in your Bibles, we're just going to, uh, to read one verse uh, to begin with there, Acts chapter 14 and verse 23. The Bible says, And when they had ordained them elders in every church and had prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord on whom they believed. Father, we thank you this morning for the glorious privilege to be together in your house again today. And Father, as we gather here right now, we can already say, Lord, that our hearts have been blessed as we have been able to join our hearts as we have prayed together, as we have sang together. And Father, now as we look into your word, we pray, Lord, that you would speak to our hearts. Give us something here today. You know each and every heart. You know every individual that is here. I pray, first of all, Lord, that if there would be anything there that would cause our minds and our hearts to drift away from, from that which we are here for today, that, Lord, that that would be stopped, that you would help us, Lord, that we might focus ourselves upon that which you're about to give to us from your word. Father, we pray for, Lord, the anointing of the Holy Spirit that he would take and and speak to each heart that which they so desperately need today, Lord, that our lives might be changed, that in some way that each and every one of us would leave here today, Lord, closer to you, a stronger Christian than when we entered these doors. Father, we might be able some way, somehow, even this day, Lord, to allow Christ to shine through our lives more than ever. We give you all the praise and honor and glory for it. In Christ's name we pray, amen and amen. We've already seen as we have looked through the scriptures and we looked at the, the first church in its beginning and as we looked at the foundation of that, we talked about it uh, being a building with Jesus Christ as the chief cornerstone, but then those 12 apostles uh, being the foundation upon which the rest of the church was to be built. And so the first office in the New Testament church would be that of an apostle. Uh, we find that uh, uh, we've seen where that they are the, uh, the foundation upon which the rest of us are built. Uh, we've seen their leadership in the early church as we looked in the book of Acts already. Uh, these men that were specifically chosen by Jesus Christ, who is that chief cornerstone, of course, to be the foundation of that church on which he was to build. Uh, they did that early work, first of all, by winning others to Christ. You know, some things never change. Jesus Christ went out and called these, and those went out and they called others, winning souls to Christ. And then, as they won them to Christ, organizing them into these local bodies, these local assemblies, these, these local churches, these chosen ones of Christ. The Bible teaches us that they personally saw the resurrected Christ. Uh, that was a condition, a qualification of being an apostle. 
They were then authenticated by special signs that the Bible teaches us were there, were the, the signs of those apostles to prove who they were. They had special powers themselves. They were even able to give those powers to, to others. We find that they were often given direct revelation from God himself used as inspired writers of the very scriptures that we have before us today. We find that every one of those men came to the point where they died. May I say to you that when those men died, the office of the apostle died with them. Uh, One was chosen by the other apostles to uh, replace Judas after that uh, he betrayed the Lord Jesus Christ. And of course, Jesus Christ himself chose the Apostle Paul. As the Bible says, one that was born out of time. But nowhere, nowhere in the Word of God, nowhere in Scripture do we find these men being replaced once they died. Nowhere in Scripture is any instruction ever given to any church in regards to choosing or ordaining more apostles The only one that was ever replaced was the one that was never really God's child in the first place, that one Judas. After that, nowhere in Scripture, it just didn't happen. We hear about apostolic succession. We have those in many different churches today. We think of of Rome, of course, and they honestly believe that the Pope is a direct descendant of the Apostle Peter. But, of course, many other churches also would still claim that office to be in operation But I would simply say to you today, folks, you know, there's no point in in, in arguing with people that that have these ideas in their heads, but if we go to the Word of God, I'm saying clearly, and I would challenge any one of you to look there, the Bible is clear on who these men were, what the qualifications were, what happened to them eventually, and nowhere in there is that office ever, ever replaced. We see clearly that it was not apostles, but that it was pastors that were called to take on that responsibility that the apostles were originally carrying and ministering to those churches. As we continue to follow the early church, we find that while the apostles were still in Jerusalem, while the church continued to to grow, and of course there arose a natural need for help and ministering to the needs of the church. If you look with me now, we have seen here in, in Acts chapter 14 where that they ordained elders in, what's that next word in your Bible? Every church. Now, if you look back with me into Acts chapter 6, we find that really even prior to these pastors being called and ordained, there was another officer. While the apostles were still themselves at the helm of the church and leading that church, That in Acts chapter 4, as this need arose, there was an office that was set aside for the church. It says in chapter 6, verse 1, And in those days, when the number of the disciples was multiplied, there arose a murmuring of the Grecians against the Hebrews because their widows were neglected in the daily ministration. Then the twelve called the multitude of the disciples unto them and said, It is not reason that we should leave the Word of God and serve tables. Now, this is not belittling those that they're about to choose. They're just saying, okay, God 
has an organization he has himself not only defined but designed the way that the New Testament church would operate. And he has chosen those, in this case the apostles and later we'll see as the pastors, that are there, their responsibility to minister, to preach, to teach the word of God. The 12 called the multitude of the disciples unto them and said, it is not reason that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. It's not saying that the other needs aren't important, but it's not that we're to take away from the ministering of the word of God in order for those other needs to be met. He says, wherefore, brethren, look ye out among ye seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. What business? Well, there was all the murmuring. It wasn't something that they were to leave the word of God in order to serve these tables, but choose you out these men, these men that are honest, these men that are full of the Holy Ghost, these men that have wisdom, that we might appoint over this business. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. The saying pleased the whole multitude, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Ghost, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch, whom they set before the apostles, and when they had prayed, they laid hands on them, and the word of God increased. The number of the disciples multiplied in Jerusalem greatly, and a great company of the priests were obedient to the faith. You see, we find right here that there are those which we will see that we later come to call deacons within the church. So we have the first office that was set up in, in God's design of the church and in organizing this church was that of the apostles. Jesus Christ himself, he was the beginning. It's his church, started with him. He's the chief cornerstone. He chooses these 12 apostles. Those 12 apostles are going to be the foundation with whom he's going to begin with them. They began to win others to Christ. That was the first thing. The first thing that happened on the day of Pentecost is Peter stood up and he preached the gospel and 3,000 people got saved. Then these people are organized into these local churches. And these local churches beginning right there with the ministering of the word still going on. There are these men that are chosen out from amongst the congregation. These men that we call deacons they were called out to minister to the needs of those people so that those apostles would be able to continue in their praying and ministering of the Word of God. And then we find later here that we just read in chapter 14 where in every church, in every church, there were ordained these elders, these men that we'll find as we look at their responsibilities would take up where the apostles left office as Jesus Christ continues to build his church. Now, as we look at these two offices, you say, preacher, there's just two, I believe in the local New Testament church of today, there are only two offices that the New Testament gives us. The first one, that of pastors, also called elders, also called bishops in the Word of God. And we'll see where those words are interchanged. But it's just one office. It's not separate offices. It's one office. First Timothy and Titus both deal specifically with the order of the churches. And in both books, we find detailed requirements for this office. Paul tells Titus that he was specifically left behind in Crete 
for the specific purpose of getting things in order in the church there and appointing elders in every city. That was the responsibility that was given to him. Now, these three terms, if you look, first of all, turn with me to the book of Titus chapter 1. Titus chapter 1. Notice what the Word of God has to say. Thessalonians, Timothy, Titus, chapter 1. Notice what he says beginning in verse 1. It says, Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, according to the faith of God's elect, and the acknowledging of the truth which is after godliness, and hope of eternal life which God that cannot lie promised before the world began. But hath in due times manifested his word through preaching, which is committed unto me according to the commandment of God our Savior, to Titus, mine own son, after the common faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ our Savior. For this cause left I thee in Crete, that thou shouldest set in order the things that are wanting and ordain elders in every city as I had appointed thee. The apostle Paul was the one that had appointed Titus. And Titus had this responsibility. Here the term elder, it refers, if you would, to the to the maturity, the wisdom, the experience of this one that's in this office. It refers to one who is wise and respected for the example that he sets and for the responsibility that he, that he carries. We even use that term sometimes in speaking of our elders in a natural sense, speaking of those that have had the experience, those that, that we hold in respect because of, of what they have learned and the experience they have. Spiritually speaking, we find that this was something that was appointed in every church, this one that was called an elder. Now notice with me again a passage that we've already looked back. Let's look back again into Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 11. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 11. Again, here the Bible says, And he, who? The Lord Jesus Christ, after rising from the grave, after descending into the heart of the earth and setting those captives free, and he gave some apostles, was that not the first gift that he gave to some, those early churches, and some prophets, and some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers, teaching pastors, if you would, for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. The word pastors that is being used here that was one of those gifts that was given to the church. Now, the pastor wasn't the only gift that was given, but the pastor is the same one that holds that office, that, that one that he left Titus, to ordain and set in every church, in every city, those were elders. These pastors are that same one. If you look back also into Titus chapter 1, notice in verse 7, just, just two verses later, we read through verse 5, it says in verse 6, If any be blameless, the husband of one wife, having faithful children, not accused of riot nor unruly, for a bishop must be blameless. As the steward of God, not self-willed, not soon angry, not given to wine, no striker, not given to filthy lucre. You see, he hasn't changed. He's talking about the same one in verse 5. 
to ordain elders in every city who? Those that he finds blameless, husband and one wife, having faithful children, not accused. Why? Because a bishop must be blameless, says the steward. He hasn't changed offices. He's using a different term, this term bishop. It's the same word that is translated other places in our Bible as, as an overseer. The title refers to his authority as the pastor. So we see that here in Titus in verses 5 and 7, the term elder, the term bishop, they're used interchangeably. In Acts chapter 20, Paul calls the elders of the church of Ephesus, and then as he speaks with them in verse 20, he uses a term that are the same as bishop and pastor. Notice back in Acts chapter 20, and in verse 20, Word of God says, And from Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church. And when they were come to him, he said unto them, You know from the first day that I came into Asia, after what manner I have been with you at all seasons, serving the Lord with all humility of mind, with many tears and temptations which below befell me by the lying and weight of Jews. And now I kept back nothing that was profitable unto you, but have showed you and have taught you publicly from house to house, testifying both to the Jews and also to the Greeks, repentance towards God and faith to our Lord Jesus Christ. And now behold, I go bound in the Spirit unto Jerusalem, not knowing the things that shall befall thee, save the Holy Ghost witnesseth in every city, saying that bonds and afflictions me, afflictions abide me. But none of these things move me, neither count I my life dear unto myself, so that I might finish my course with joy in the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus Christ to testify the gospel, the grace of God. And now behold, I know that ye all, among whom I have gone preaching the kingdom of God, shall see my face no more. Wherefore, I take you to record this day that I am pure from the blood of all men, for I have not shunned to declare unto you the whole counsel of God. Take heed, therefore, unto yourselves and to all the flock over the which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the church of God, which he hath purchased with his own blood. He hasn't changed. He's talking the same thing right through these verses as he's going down. He makes it very clear that he was called the elders of the church and in speaking to those elders who he's talking to, he says who God hath appointed as overseers, as bishops, the same word that's translated bishop here in our Bible. He uses the terms interchangeably. We find that if we look back into 1 Peter chapter 5, 1 Peter chapter 5, notice what he says in verses 1 and 2. The elders which are among you I exhort, who am also an elder, and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, and also a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed. Feed the flock of God which is among you, taking the oversight thereof, not by constraint, but willingly, not for filthy lucre, but of a ready mind, neither as being lords over God's heritage, but being in samples to the flock." And when the chief shepherd shall appear, you shall receive a crown of glory that fadeth not away. We find that, again, these terms are used interchangeably. He's talking to one group of people, and as he's talking to them, he's giving them the different responsibilities. You see, the qualifications are laid down very clearly in Scripture. If you look back into Titus chapter 1, we started reading that earlier. And of course, just prior to that, in, in, in 1 Timothy in, uh, in chapter 3, uh, again, we find that uh, uh, God gives the qualifications. Notice what he says there in 1 Timothy chapter 3. 
He says, this is a true saying. If a man desire the office of a bishop, he desireth a good work. A bishop then must be blameless, the husband of one wife, vigilant, sober of good behavior, given to hospitality, apt to teach, not given to wine, no striker, not greedy of filthy lucre, but patient, not a brawler, not covetous, one that ruleth well his own house, having his children in subjection with all gravity. For if a man know not how to rule his own house, how shall he take care of the church of God? Not a novice, lest being lifted up with pride, he fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must have a good report of them which are without, lest he fall into reproach in the snare of the devil. And then, of course, following, he gives the qualifications of the deacons. If you look over into Titus chapter 1, we began reading there earlier for a bishop in verse 7, must be blameless as the steward of God, not self-willed, not soon angry, not given to wine, no striker, not given to filthy lucre, but a lover of hospitality, a lover of good men, sober, just, holy, temperate, holding fast the faithful word as he hath been taught that he may be able to, by sound doctrine, both to exhort and to convince the gainsayers. For there are many unruly and vain talkers and deceivers, especially they of the circumcision whose mouths must be stopped. And the Bible goes on again. I'm saying to you that here in Scripture, that it's God that does the calling. It's God that does the equipping. If you read through these qualifications, You'd have to come, if you come honestly, to the same conclusion that nobody meets that. You say, well, why would qualifications be set aside when we know that in our sinful flesh, we're going to falter somewhere? He's giving us the guidelines that ought to be looked for, that ought to be adhered to, and they are serious. But what we have to recognize is it's God's grace, the same grace that saves us. No man is called into the ministry because he's a perfect human being because he has all of the answers, because of all those things. But these qualifications can't be taken lightly. They're never to, uh, to be bypassed in any way. And that's why, again, notice that it's the church that is given this responsibility because, again, it is the church, the local New Testament church, is the only uh, organization, uh, the only thing of, all, of any kind uh, in the New Testament that is given authority for God's work. And so therefore, they have that, that responsibility. God himself is the only one that can do the calling. And God is the only one that can do the equipping. It's the man that must surrender. And it's the man that must be willing to submit his life to God's calling. They used to have a saying of where I grew up, and I'm sure that maybe some of you have heard it before, that there were too many pastors standing in the pulpits that were mama called and papa sent. Uh, it was because this mom and dad or somebody else thought it was a good idea, uh, a good career, uh, a profession, or some other reason uh, that they were there filling that position. Uh, but I'm saying to you that scripturally, it is only God that does the calling and the setting aside. It's the church that recognizes that call. The individual must submit to that call. Preparation must be complete. And of course, again, some today would not see the need of ordination. They think, well, if God called me to preach, bless God, I'm just going to go out there and I'm going to preach. Well, that's good. If God's called you to preach, then you better go out there and preach. But under the authority of the local church, you have no authority as a human being to go out there and to preach God's word. It was the church. They were ordained in the church, every one of them. They were set aside by the church and they were responsible to the church. It's kind of you think, well, you know, aren't you talking in circles again? 
I mean, you're saying on the one hand, here's the person that is the overseer, the feeder, the one that's to take responsibility for the flock, and yet at the same time, he's accountable to the flock. And yes, that is true. You see, the church has one responsibility, not to give the preacher his sermons to preach. A lot of churches like to, you know, they really do. Uh, you know, they'll, they'll flat, you know, if, if their preacher preaches on something they don't like, they'll let him know. Uh, they want to dictate, you know, what God should, alone should be doing. The church is responsible to set that person aside for God's work, that they meet the qualifications, that they are doctrinally sound. And just as surely a church that's worth a grain of salt, if that man departs from those doctrines, they would remove that ordination. They would say he's no longer being recognized by this local church. And in essence, the man has no authority to preach if he's not under the authority of a local church. Many people don't like that. Many people get upset with that. But I'm showing you in Scripture, we see here who it is that's doing the ordaining, those qualifications that are, that are required that one be met. We find that it's the pastor that has the God-given authority within the church. And yet, biblically, the pastor himself is under the authority of a local church, because it's only the church that Jesus Christ has given that authority for his work to. The Scriptures know nothing of a New Testament church without spiritual leadership. You see, when we look and we can say that people are calling themselves a church, I'm saying to you, folks, it is not a New Testament church. It is not the glorious church of the Lord Jesus Christ that he has set up, that he has designed. If man turns around and man starts changing his design, many churches today do not want spiritual leadership. They want to take that themselves. They want to make their own choices. They want to do their own thing. They can want to, and they can even do it. But I say with all the love in the world, it is no longer a New Testament church. It is no longer the church that God himself has given us in his word, the design for which it is to be designed to. The Bible doesn't specify any certain number. You see, some churches may have a single pastor. Some may have a plurality of pastors, a pastor of this, a pastor of that. Some may call them elders, a plurality of elders, that spiritual leadership. And maybe one elder is responsible for one area of ministry and one is responsible for another. But I believe in Scripture, even those when the Apostle Paul was appointing, there was always somebody, somebody that was in that position of authority, somebody on whom in the end that it was going to fall depending upon the size of the church. There might be a need for different numbers of elders, of pastors, of, of bishops, if you would, within that church. The Bible usually speaks of pastors and elders in the plural because we find these churches were growing. The responsibility was more. It was more than just one man could do, and therefore there was a plurality of elders. And whatever the church wants to call them, elders or pastor, I really don't care because the Bible calls them both. I like using Bible terms. A New Testament church... We'll have spiritual leadership, pastors, elders, bishops. There are no different offices but the same. A New Testament church is going to recognize pastoral authority. His authority is given by God, and it's limited by God. And let me say, I have seen it, and it is a vile thing when a pastor decides to rule a congregation other than by the Word of God, by his own desires and his own wishes and his own flesh. That's not God's design either. A New Testament church must seek God's will 
for spiritual leadership. One of the most critical times in any church is when they're seeking a new pastor, when they're looking for that new leadership. You see, too many times it becomes into a, it turns into a popularity contest amongst the people of whom they like. It might be because of the way he dresses and his appearance. It might be because of the way that he is able to uh, to speak. Maybe he's a great orator and, and, and he has a great ability to be able to put his words together. Maybe it's because he's so smart. Too many times though, it comes down because he thinks like I think, <laughs> because it's what I believe. You see, we have doctrines and it's a pretty vital thing that you make sure that any pastor that's called meets the qualifications, the biblical qualifications, and is in agreement with the doctrines of a church. But it's not for us. You see, it's so, so, so important that a church not choose or call a pastor themselves, whatever good reasons that they can find, but that they pray until they're absolutely clearly recognize the man that God has called for them. Because if it's his design, and if he's the one that calls these men, if he is the one that's the head of the church, the thing that's important is not that we have a pastor that we like, but that we have the pastor that God wants there. That's vital. That's important if a church is to be what God wants it to be. Remember, we've already established that just by calling it a church, really, we're calling it the Lord's called out assembly the Lord's church. It belongs to him. And if it belongs to him, he's the one that's got to be doing the calling for the one that he would have in the spiritual leadership of that congregation. The church must pray earnestly to know the mind of Christ in this matter. May I say that a church not designed with the office of a pastor, an elder, a bishop is not and should not be described as a New Testament church. That doesn't mean that a church ceases to be a church while they're in the process of calling another pastor. Something happens that they lose their spiritual leadership. There are those that will step into that position temporarily. There should be other spiritual leaders within a church. A church, a church no church, should be dependent upon one individual and built upon one individual. You see, the glorious church of Jesus Christ, it's a glorious thing, but it's not a man-made institution. It is a called-out assembly that belongs to the Lord Jesus Christ himself. And God has given us a manner, Brother Steve, in order to organize that church to where it will work under his leadership and under his control. And I'm saying to you that we need to understand, we need to understand, folks, there is no compromise. There is no compromise when it comes to these things of matter of what a New Testament church is when we can look at the Scriptures and we can see clearly every church, everywhere, in every city. When the apostles moved off the scene, Brother Steve, there were elders, pastors appointed in every one of them. And the Bible is very clear of that role that they are to play in feeding the, shot, in feeding the sheep, in protecting the sheep, in overseeing those sheep, in leading those sheep, in doing those things that he has laid out so specifically in Scripture that they're there for, and it's vital that it be God's man. Today, today, every child of God, you've heard me say it, and you'll hear me say it again, 
Every child of God, if you're saved, if you're born again, then it is a biblical mandate that you be a part of a local New Testament church. It's vital. That's the way it's set up. That's the way God operates today. Every one of us as believers need to be a part of a church, but it needs to be a New Testament church designed by Jesus Christ and operated according to the standards that he's given us. Father, we thank you today as we look into Scripture. Lord, we know that these are things that are vital to us because we live in a day, Lord, when, when the church is being undermined so much. We find that on every corner, Lord, we find those that, though they have maybe given their hearts to the Lord Jesus Christ, Lord, they have never truly been a part of a New Testament church. Or as part of one, they've been drawn away. There are many out there today that are teaching that it's, it's not necessary to be part of a local church, as long as you're part of the one universal church. But Father, we know that is just simply scripturally untrue. We find as we look that you're so clear, we find that the church is so vital, it's so important to each and every one of our lives. Lord, we thank you. We thank you that you have left this means for your work to be carried out. And Father, as we continue to, to discern your word and to look and to see how that we can know, because it's vital that each and every one of us be able, Lord, these are fundamentals of faith that we must contend for. You've told us to fight for them. You've told us to be willing, Lord, to lay down our lives for these things if necessary. Lord, help us not to compromise. Help us not to compromise the plan that you've given us. Help us to take it seriously, every part of it. Thank you for our church here today. And Father, as we are gathered here today, Lord, if there be anyone here that's never truly been born again, I don't care what religious background or what church they might have been a part of, then we pray, Lord, that you would help them to recognize and understand there is only, there is only one organization on the face of this earth that is your organization, that is your assembly, your called-out assembly from this world, and that's the local church. And Lord, to be a part of that local church, they must be born again. They must be born again. They must know that there's been a time when they have humbled themselves. They have personally sought that forgiveness through the finished work of Jesus Christ and what he's done for them. Then, Lord, that in obedience to your command, they followed you in believer's baptism. They've united themselves with a local body. And, Lord, if there are those here today that don't know for certain that they've been born again, then I pray that you'd help them to realize, Lord, that that is the greatest need of their life today is to know that they've been saved. And for every Christian, Lord, that is here, help them, Lord, to realize. Help them, Lord, to be thankful, Lord, that you have given them the, uh, the privilege of being able to be a part of a local church in a, in a, in a nation that is free, in a place where, that, Lord, they can have that freedom to, uh, to be a member of a church of their choosing Lord, I pray that you'd help us in looking through these things. Help us not to be wavered. Help us not to be fooled. Help us to understand, uh, Lord, what you have truly set aside as a church. Help us, Lord, not to get our ideas in the way and what we want and what we think. But help us, Lord, to build according to what you've given us in your word. And we give you all the praise and thanks for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Mm -hmm. 